Hey everybody, this is your host and uh, best friend of the world, Jeremy. On this episode, we talk with Brian Van Slyke from the Tessa Collective. It is a board game cooperative that makes cooperative board games. If you've seen the games lately called like Rose Rise Up, they just released a game called Strike, the Game of Worker Uprising. Correction, the Game of Worker Rebellion. And most famously, they're the one, the company that put out and Brian designed Space Cats Fight Fascism. It's pretty good, uh, pretty good episode. We cover a lot of ground, everything from, um, you know, founding a cooperative. We get into some board game theory about, say, you know, why meeples are better than little, like, little, like, you know, cardboard stand-ups. Yeah, talk about, you know, uh, everything from, like, you know, their particular history of, like, how they got involved with this thing and, um, you know, <laughs> and also, you know, the, the because they just released their uh, strike, their their most recent board game. They released during uh, they they released during uh, pandemic. So um, we talked about like you know how do you actually do that, and and he relates the stories of how they survived uh, putting that out. So it should be a good one. Once again, if you have any uh, questions or comments, you can get a hold of me at uh, givingthemike at gmail dot com. Our show does survive on, uh, you know, donations and support from uh, listeners like you. We do have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Uh, tell all your friends. Uh, see, see if you can get like one person to listen to this. And because they might dig our particular take on stuff. We have episodes with, you know, zero books luminaries like uh, like Ben Burgess and Derek Varn. We've had the Verso authors on before. We, you know, have a good run on uh, conspiracy theories and all sorts of stuff. And yeah. And so without further ado, here's the show. Lack of a better introduction. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I am your host, Jeremy, back again with old friends and new. Uh, this one, uh, this week, uh, we have in our, uh, I think this is actually the first time we've actually talked about, extensively talked about, like, board games. We've We've had everything from we had um, we had Calestia from Canberra who does a lot of like uh, lefty games on on itch to um, a couple other things. This is your first board game night. Um, real quick, you one did the uh, you did the uh, go episode in the before time. Well, that's true. The other uh, the, the the second or third episode we ever did was talking to um, guy I've known forever who's also the uh, the president of the Oregon Go. Go Society, I think, or something, but about the history and popular understanding of Go, the board game, which we figured out was kind of whenever, uh, whenever hacks, um, hack movie writers need to show like that your villain or your, a, that a character is kind of like, uh, next level genius or evil genius, instead of using a chessboard, they will use a Go board. Um, yeah. Aronofsky's fault, I think. That's true. And, uh, anyway, so, um, we got, uh, one new friend and one co-host. Uh, co-host, can you, uh, introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Of course I can, Jeremy. Hey, everyone. It's your old pal, Garrett. Um, happy to be with you all again in the pod space. 
the liminal pod space. Yes, we're in, we're <laughs> we're hanging out. Yes, we, the the pod space. We are in the uh, the dive bar of uh, of your mind. <laughs> and new guests, can, yep. Uh, can you introduce yourself to the viewing audience? I usually always have folks introduce themselves because I suck at introductions. Totally. Um, I'm I'm Brian uh, Van Slyke. I'm uh, the head of uh, games at uh, the Tessa Collective, which is a worker-owned cooperative that both uh, works with organizations to create um, tools uh, for their cause, and then we also uh, causes, and then we also make uh, sort of radical and progressive uh, board games um, that we uh, sell and distribute in the world. Excellent. Yes, I first discovered uh, your game Rise Up at a uh, at an XOXO festival uh, because uh, the the artist was there and had some had some little like demo units and I'm like, okay, this is cool. And I am now you know fully functional DSA member, so I'm into the shit and picked one <laughs> up from there. And it was just and y'all have been putting out. Well, uh, can you list some of the titles of the games that you've sure. uh, that you guys have been doing? Because I think some folks will find them extra uh, will. Uh, um, find them familiar. Sure, absolutely. Um, so uh, we've got Rise Up, the game of people in power, which is a game about movement building um, and fighting for a cause. Uh, our first game um, that we put out over 10 years ago now uh, was Coopoly, the game of cooperatives. Um, more recently, we have games that are a bit more, you know, game nighty games, um, such as Space, Cat, Space Cats Fight Fascism, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, and then we've also got uh, Strike, the game of Worker Rebellion, uh, which came out earlier this year. Uh, and yeah, we've got we've got a, a number of other ones, but those are probably our, our most well-known ones. Excellent. And yeah, I uh, I personally own at least three of those. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> someday, someday we'll be allowed to play them again with others. <laughs> but um, I guess or we could get each other like hazmat suits for gifts and uh, and we could all play. That's true. I mean, what do you think? Well, that would work. I mean, I guess we can technically play them outside. But then again, I mean, we're um, I was going to say, yeah, we're calling, we're talking to you from Portland. And I just realized, yeah, it's like Chicago weather isn't exactly uh, much better, but <laughs> turns out, you no, know, no, um, no, it's much worse. It, well, it depends on if you like snow or not. Honestly, I mean, unfortunately, because of climate change, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, weather's actually been completely fine the past like three years. But um, but uh, it is traditionally terrible in terms of board games. Um, some, you know, it's it's weird that. You know, some people obviously can't play board games and haven't been able to for the past year. And and on the other side of stuff, there are um, the board game industry is booming because there are so many people at home with their families or roommates or whatever and just playing board games. So it's some of the people who used to play our games haven't been able to in forever. And but we're also reaching a new wide audience of people who have never really played board games before because. You know, uh, but now they've got nothing else to do. So yeah. it's a real weird uh, um, uh, sort of give and take. Our uh, our more our uh, the more I don't want to call it, I don't want to see I don't think you could call it, well yes you could say the more yuppier of our two alt weeklies had a cover story on uh, like not not just like board games in pandemic but also because so many of them are because so many like makers live in portland now it's just all mm-hmm. about like you know here's te- you know 10 board games made by, made by portland you know by locals in the last oh, 5 cool. years that you can check out so that's cool but um 
um, you know, but I bring it up because it's kind of a thing where like, yeah, you can, we can hang out with friends outside, but like trying to figure out a place where you can actually kind of, I, you know, you can actually hang out outside that's actually properly covered and heated, but mm. it's still mm. the, uh, the, that's still the part of those are still the nut we have to crack. Um, can you describe, can you talk about, uh, like just test as an operation, kind of like break down, break sure. that down and, um, nothing else is like, how did they, st- how did they start making board games? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, what we uh, as an operation, what we do is we, um, uh, we we sort of do a few things. I mean, we're 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 worker owned cooperative. And so for folks who aren't familiar with that, what that means is that each um, each person who works uh, at our company uh, owns one share and equally owns and equally um, governs the company. Um, and in the United States, there are um, cooperatives anywhere from, you know, few people to hundreds of people. Um, and, all, and then, you know, globally, there are same there's a uh, uh, few to hundreds. Um, and then there's also entire regions like the Mondragon region of Spain, where there are um, cooperatives made up of thousands of people or like cooperative systems and that all that kind of stuff. So I'm um, in the worker cooperative movement is sort of growing in the United States as well. But just speaking about Tessa, we are worker owned cooperative. Um, so what I'm trying to get to the point uh, of what I'm trying to say is we're we're because we're a because we're a worker co-op, but B also because we're we're small enough. Um, we've been able to be experimental over the years and sort of like adjust what we do. Cool. Um, so we started uh, we just like when we start, I, I'm sort of I'm the founder slash co-founder. Um, and we started off by just sort of doing like educational consulting for nonprofits. Um, and to make a really long story short, um, we also at some point started to put out some games uh, as tools for that. And then um and then we noticed a real interest in the games and sort of over uh, about four or five years ago, we made a, a firm commitment to say we are making games and they're not just educational games. They are fun game night games, um, uh, but about causes. And so we sort of were able to make that pivot four or five years ago. Um, and so we still do our our sort of tool development for um Nonprofits, cause-based groups, but um, sort of our, our game side of stuff has kind of been taking um, taking things over um, and, and sort of uh, not not taking over, but um, a huge growth in what we do. Um, so yeah, and so we also, in in addition to making our own games like Strike and Rise Up and Space Cats that we put out there, we also will work with groups um, and develop games for their causes and that kind of stuff that they use um, and bring out to their communities and that kind of stuff. Excellent. Uh, can you uh, give uh, give an example of some of the groups you've worked with, either local or national? Yeah, so we've worked with anywhere from small little community groups like Solidarity St. Louis um, to um, you know international nonprofits like the Nature Conservancy. Um, so on my shelf over there, I got a game we made um, for them uh, called Water for Tomorrow. It's not a game that we have for for sale in our store. It's a game that they they use in their um, outreach. But they uh, throughout New York State, um, they're working with groups to uh, like uh, to develop understandings about collective water resource management and um, fighting water pollution, which isn't like the the most exciting idea. Uh, but and that's actually why they wanted to make a game about it so they could bring people to the table to play. Uh, a fun game to understand like hey um uh, we need to understand water access and fighting water pollution and that kind of stuff so that's sort of an example um 
some of the other groups we've worked with are uh, Jobs with Justice, who uh, a really great yeah. labor organizing group who we collaborated with to make Strike the game, a Worker Rebellion, uh, which is a like definitely a, is a game that's available in our store, and that's a sort of that's a game night game about like building the labor movement and worker power, and then. Um, we have a game coming out next month-ish. COVID makes everything a little waffly. It was supposed to come out in January, but I think it's now coming out next month. Um, called Game Changer, uh, sort of the game of activist tactics, and that's a game we made with a, a group um, called the Center for Story-Based Strategy. And um, it's a really fun but fast, quick, easy-to-learn card game. Um, it's just sort of about, like, radical imagination and that kind of stuff. Excellent. Yeah. Um. I guess this can you I guess can you opine on the how can how can a game work as training method that other that say other methods can't yeah totally um I've gotten on my soapbox about this a lot you know what I what I like to tell people is that like a game is not a good thing for like information transfer a game isn't like if you want people to memorize like terms or stats or whatever games not this don't use a game for that but if you want people to sort of like imagine themselves in a role or see themselves as um as uh, as an actor um uh, to, or to you know imagine what how things could be that's where a game is good uh, a game is great to like you know i i think that people come to understand things best by doing and not you know and so like allowing them to experience so, okay what's it's like to like build a movement well let's play rise up the game of worker it was the game of people in power yeah it's not like you know it, there's a difference between a game and a simulation a simulation is like okay a happens and then b happens and then a game might take a little bit of liberties with reality um but it allows you to like have fun and create these sort of like distinct memories with the uh, with the uh, the issue that you are playing with whether it's you know, fighting the rising tide of um, proto-fascism as space cats, um, mm-hmm. but understanding how that, like, f- relates to the world or, um, you know, to building a-, a worker movement throughout your city to fight corporate power um, in a um, in strike. So, yeah. Because I'm just thinking about, especially one of our co-hosts, occasional co-hosts, uh, is an is an educator union organizer, and I'm trying to think of if hey. you know, how you could you could um, not necessarily. I don't. I think gamify is the wrong term, but it's like mm-hmm. use you know use that as a uh, as a teaching tool for right. like teaching people like basic like union organizing and bargaining uh, skills yeah. or strategies or something. Well, yeah, and that's um, when we we were talking with Jobs with Justice, and so the, the way that Strike came to be is that Jobs with Justice came to us, and they were like, "Hey, we want to build a game together. We like the games that you make. Um, we want to make a game about labor and like building labor power, but like we don't want it to be like a like a, um, a, a like an education tool that people are like, okay, I went like we want it to be like a culture change initiative. Uh, we to like people." who like may not know a lot about like labor rights or worker organizing and play this game to like get an understanding of like just culturally what that means. Um, and so that's why we ended up making strike this sort of like with this, like, you know, focus on being, it's a fun game night. Like it's a game that you play to like high five your friends in a COVID safe way at game night. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, uh, and, and, and so 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, to us, it's a it's a way to like inspire people and like get them like as like talking and 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 um, seeing themselves as participants rather than just like you know reading is great, lectures are great, powerpoints you know serve their purpose, but you know um, if you're like me, if you're looking, if you'll start your eyes will start to glaze over, but it's like when you're um, like I didn't make this game, but there's a game called Endangered, right? And that I, you know, played um, uh, and learned a lot about, like you know, the fight to like save endangered species, and it was just really interesting stuff. And after I played it, I was like, oh crap, I got to go look this up. And uh, and yeah, so um, that's that's what I sort of think about as our games is it's not like a one for one. This is how it works in reality, but it's a, a tool for inspiration and, and getting people motivated. Excellent. Have you ever, have you ever worked with any, I want to say like, uh, you know, Euro game designers or is pretty mm-hmm. much everything that you guys have just done have just been kind of like your own in-house local shop that have kind of, cause I'm just thinking about just the different, um, the different, you know, the, the traditions of American board game versus yeah. Euro game. Yeah. I mean, we, we, um, we haven't worked with any Euro design. I mean, for those, for those who aren't familiar, I think what you're alluding to is I, I don't, in like a strict camp of one thing but there's a uh um there are the terms for games whether like ameritrash which is this idea of like american tradition of you play games and like you can get expelled from a game versus a euro game where it's like a game that everyone is i think this is what you're alluding to right where everyone but you're you're um no one is ever expelled from the game. Um, you you play until the end, until somebody wins, or or something like that. I sort of I, I I I mostly when we design games, we're making games that are no one can ever be expelled from. Like you don't want to play a game, or, but also mostly that's also because we design cooperative games, so um, people are all on the same team when they play our games, and they're playing against the game itself. Um, you're yeah. fighting a system in this case, yes, the yeah. system, the uh, created system of the game. Yeah, exactly, and that and that's the. Um, I mean, I, it's. Uh, I try. I, I keep trying to make non-cooperative games, and then I, I just end up becoming cooperative because, you know, um, when people play them, they're like, "We want to work together to defeat this evil corporation," or to you know, and it, and it and I think that that's. It's fair. Um, not all, not all of our games are cooperative, but most of them are. Um, but also, it just like engages a lot of people who are not typical board game players because, um, you know, their experience is playing Monopoly and you know hating everyone at the end of it. And when they're like, "Oh wait, like we can be on the same team working together," that's dope. Um, so I think you know both cooperative games are a growing um, uh, area of board games, but also I think that's a good way to like engage people who are not typical board game players what's your um you got a favorite anecdote or review or feedback you ever heard from from somebody who you know had that experience of like uh you know their only no their only knowledge of a game was it's you know milton bradley trad yep. standard and like play one of your games and just kind of like it freaks them out and all you know takes them you know is this like a uh a first step into a larger world as it were yeah, I've got a, a couple. Uh, I can think of both like a, a small and a large example. A small example is just like, and I've gotten this email like a bunch, but like one, the first time I ever got it and really like stuck in my head was like basically this dad wrote to us and was like, yeah, like I usually like hate playing games with my kids because they like, you know, hate each other and are yelling and like literally are flipping the board over. 
but we were playing your games and like they were like so excited that they could work together on like and play on the same team and um i'm i'm annoyed now because they're they asked me to play them every night and i'm like oh it's just like <laughs> that's the coolest thing ever uh i mean not that you're annoyed at your kids but like that like we shifted that like paradigm um that like uh and then the other example is that um you know we made when we made rise up um uh, there was a big like organizing conference and oh I know it's so different but it was either Massachusetts or Florida I don't remember which one but uh, it's a plane ride either places, way yeah yeah um, uh, where they they played Rise Up with and um, they actually um, translated into Spanish as well and then, so they had these dual games of English and Spanish going on and um, and they just had like some of these pictures of like just like three hundred people in a room playing all these different copies of Rise Up. And um, they're just like, yeah, they had no idea that like you could play a game where like you had to be on the same side and like, you know, um, and it, it was great. But also like people didn't want to um, <laughs> didn't want to go back to the rest of the conference when we were done playing and they just wanted to keep playing. So I was just sort of like, oh, that's a really cool. That's a really cool thing. Uh, Such a problem. So, yeah. yeah. A problem you want to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's excellent. That's great. How did you get started? As, uh, in, how did you get started as a designer? Or I guess can you give us some of your own background? Yeah, so it's sort of it's a little bit of a long winding story that I'll make really as brief as I can. But um, back before I um, I co-founded Tessa, um, I was sort of I was teaching at this um, learning center for teens who um, had uh, either been expelled or dropped out of high school, um, and so it wasn't it wasn't a place where uh, it wasn't like nothing was mandatory. Um, like they came there to learn stuff, and it was completely optional because it wasn't it wasn't school. And I for a long time I've been teaching this this class on like how to develop um, or how to like make put out your own records and record music and that kind of stuff. And it was so easy getting um, the kids to show up. And then I started to teach this class about like U.S. history, and no, no kids were showing up. Just, just like no one, and I, you know, I was just like, oh, that, well, that sucks. And I was like, so how can I get them to come? Um, and so I just like one day like ma- started making some board games, like really quick board games for the kids to play. When uh, and that started to get them to come to the class, to the history class, um, and. Um, and it was just amazing seeing them, um, uh, like, just actually engage in history, um, and uh, which is something like a, a nerdy passion I've always had. Um, like these, you know, um, it, and it was just sort of like a, a, a light went off in my head. Like this is a way I can reach people. Um, and um, I so I sort of put it to the side for a little bit. And I when I co-founded Tessa. Um, one of the things that we just did as a special project was putting out Coopoly, um, which is, you know, is a fun, is a fun game. It, it still sells really well. It's not a game I would like make today. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about game design and also just like whatever, but I, I still like, we still put it out because people still love it and play it, but I, we just put it out as like sort of like a special project. Um, and, um, and then we started getting more and more demand for it, and um, uh, organizations were asking us to like build custom games for them. And then we uh, we went to this sort of little known protest in um, New York called Occupy Wall Street. Um, and never heard uh, of it. Some people, 
yeah yeah it's it's sort of niche um uh and um some people uh, i think I don't remember if it like we had just put Quapoli out or just working something. It was like really, early. it was, it, yeah. Anyways, we were there and we played it and some people were like, this is before things had gotten like really huge. Um, it was like when the occupation was still just, or the camp was still just, um, anyways, they're like, Hey, you should do something about like building a movement. And we're like, Oh, that's like an awesome idea. And that's what inspired Rise Up. It didn't inspire it right like way. Like we kind of put that in our back pocket for a while, but then a few late years later we were like, "Hey, let's let let's actually do this." And so we made Rise Up and after we saw the sort of popularity of that, we were sort of like, "Yeah, this is this is something." So that anyways, I said I'd make that long story short and I didn't. So, sorry about that. That's a good story. Yeah. I guess you you kind of you partially alluded to this this uh to the answer to this uh in in that in that answer because i was curious like um how did you how did you get um how did you land on making uh like leftist games as it were yeah i mean that's I, <laughs> that's what i am um you know i don't really have much of it so you're not in- like a you're not like a libertarian who's like I, this just makes good money no, oh god, no. Uh, oh god, I was just, what would what would an ANCAP uh what would an ANCAP board game look like? It was like it's all like all like yellow and black and or some I don't know. Oh, yeah. it would just it would just come with a handgun for each person and they would they would just take turns <laughs> shooting at each other. Yeah, I I you know, I make weird games, so I've also seen a lot of weird games out there. <laughs> um, so, like I try not to knock other people's stuff because I know some people would look at my stuff and be like, that's weird and you know, they'd be right. Um but yeah, yeah that's going to cut a lot of time out of the podcast if yes. you're not going <laughs> to talk shit about other game makers. Fine. <laughs> Fine, have it your way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I am a left, and that's just what we've always like. We, you know, we sort of um, just leaned into that, and you know what, we made cooperative, which you know, cooperatives are not like a strictly leftist thing, but we really focused it on worker co-ops, and then, um, uh, which I think is more so, and then when we made Rise Up, um, that was like shortly before the 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 now infamous 2016 election um and we put it out um and um people still liked it and they were playing it but we were getting a lot of like you know this was right after the election i don't know if y'all remember but just like everyone was exhausted i think mentally um and people were just like oh this is so real um and so we that's we were just we had the idea of like yeah we need to make a game about for the moment about fighting this rising like proto-fascism but like we also need to do it through this like fun lens and it's just where someone at our co-op meeting was just like so what just like cats in space fighting fascism and we're like yep <laughs> that's it that literally that's and that's sort of like what um make it so yeah and so and space cats fight fascism um has become definitely our most popular game and um uh, uh and so we made strike and we made our other games as well but it's sort of just like yeah that's we there there is this weird venn diagram of people who you know are leftist or progressive and also like having fun <laughs> and want to play board games and yeah like imagine that, so that yeah 
Yeah, so. Why did you decide to do this as a cooperative rather than any other structure? I've always been into the into the co-op stuff. Before I started Tessa, um, I I ran a punk rock record label, um, and uh, we were a collective, um, and we had no idea what the hell that meant. Um, but and so we messed everything up. Um, but during that time, I joined um, this group uh, who's still around um, called the Valley Alliance of Worker Cooperatives. Uh, the Valley was a region of Massachusetts I lived in. Um, and um, through that experience, I just learned about, like, you know, what actual cooperatives were and what cooperation was. And I also started um working for this group called uh, the Cooperative Development Institute. Um, and so I've just sort of like always been in the co-op space and I really have, I have absolutely no interest in being anybody else's boss, but I also have no interest in having anyone be my boss. Um, and so um, the the co-op um, structure was, was right for that. Um, and, you know, so it came sort of out of this um, uh, punk total misunderstanding of what a collective meant and then actually became this just sort of way of life for me. Garrett? Yeah, so um, I think this is where I'm, I'm going to probably come in a lot is just talking about the cooperative business model. Um, and, we, and feel free to steer it back to games whenever you want. But like one of the things that like if I were ever going to start my own business, it would be a mm-hmm. cooperative, an employee-owned business, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. uh, I have no interest in any, just like you, no interest in mm-hmm. any other thing. Sure. And I guess, like, who's the first person you talk to? Like, I mean, like, like professional person that you talk to to help you do this. Yeah. Um, so there, if you want to start a cooperative business, there is there's actually a ton of cooperative development institutes that um, support um, the growth of uh, cooperative organizations. So you can go to this website called Cooperation Works and search and find a local um cooperative development institutes you know some of them can offer their services for free some of them charge a fee some of them have a mixed thing it really depends on the region and um your status and all this kind of stuff um uh and then there's also this group called um uh the the, uh so there's the u.s federation of worker cooperatives and the u.s federation of worker cooperatives has a peer-to-peer support system um that People who are members of existing worker cooperatives offer their time and energy. I, again, I, I think some of it is free and some of it's not um, um, to people who are trying to start their own cooperatives. Um, and so that's a good that's a really good place. I'll also just do, you know, a little um, uh, uh, plug, but it's free. So I think it's fine. Um, we Tessa, we we collaborated a number of years ago, but I actually think it's still really uh, relevant on um, a free making it we made a free basically documentary on how to start a worker co-op it's like 20 minutes it's on youtube but it like goes through like how to start a worker co-op and that kind of stuff so it's called own the change you can google that and um, watch it for free um obviously you need to do more than watch a 20 minute video um Hmm. to learn how to start a co-op but that's a, a good place and it's got a bunch of resources in it um but yeah, there there are actually an extensive amount of development, like cooperative development centers and support networks and that kind of stuff. You know, uh, the an in principle, uh, an important principle of the cooperative movement is cooperation amongst cooperatives. And one of the ways that we the co- the worker co op movement specifically has really taken that principle by the horns is is trying to help people start more worker cooperatives because we recognize that you know a rising tide lifts all lifts all boats um and so 
Um, yeah, the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, I can't um, say enough good things about them. They, they do a lot of great work um, trying to help people start their own worker co-ops. Mm-hmm. So, solidarity economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because for some reason, I, I thought that the first person you'd have to talk to is some sort of lawyer who specializes in, in setting up cooperatives. Yeah, that's that's probably later in the process, to be quite honest. Like, you want to figure out. I mean, there's 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 various things you want to figure out, like, you know. Do you have, I mean, you know, the, the thing is that a worker co-op is a business. And so you've got to know, like, do you have a viable business model? Um, you know, do you, you know, a worker co-op is also, you're doing it with other people. So like, do you got the right people to do it with? Right. Um, it's not just, um, starting a business it's starting a democratic business. Um, and I don't, it, you know, business can be a dirty word and whatever I, you know, came from the punk scene. So I, um, but it, it, it is, it's just, it's a way to make money for, to support your labor, um, and, and doing it in an equitable, um, and just way. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, you consult with the lawyer, but before you start it, but definitely not one of the first people, definitely find, find the people you're going to start it with. Maybe you started on your own and you become a, a worker co-op later. That that's actually what, what we did. Um, but um, uh, you also just need to know, like, you know, you don't want to it takes time and energy and effort and you want to make sure you've got a good um, idea and you have the resources to to do it uh, before before even talking to a lawyer who's going to charge you money. Right. So that made me think of I guess I'm kind of curious about did you experience um, or or did it become obvious to you at any point in time that like when trying to establish yourself as a worker-owned cooperative were were you did you see how ordinary um uh sort of let's say like established procedures for starting businesses worked against you because you were trying to start something that was different from most you know because most businesses that get started are either sole proprietors Mm mm-hmm or corporations or, um, you know, uh, LLCs. Yep. No, uh, absolutely. And um, that's actually one of the things that can work against you is that you do have to actually incorporate as one of those types of of businesses. Um, And there's only about, it may have, I think it may have grown at this point, but a few years ago, there's only like five states that you officially incorporate as a worker-owned cooperative. And even still in that sense, it's a, it's a subsect of a, of a typical um, C corp. Oh my god, my punk self would hate me for this. But um, is a I'm an accountant, so I don't hate you. Oh, okay. that, that's all. You're all, you're talking stuff I understand. Okay. So. Yeah, I'm an I'm an I'm an engineer. So uh, yeah, I was gonna okay. say yeah. You, I, I'm going to assume you're you're not you're that you're not that you don't have you still don't have like some uh, crass tattoo that on like your leg that you got as a teenager that burns and like turns red whenever you utter like. <laughs> No, I only I only have a Defiance Ohio tattoo. What I got when I was eighteen, but. But they're still cool, I think. Um, anyways, um, 
Uh, yeah, so you know, you do actually have to incorporate it as one of those types of businesses. Maybe it's an LLC, maybe it's a C corp, and um, the structure is not set up to to necessarily support um, worker cooperatives, except in a few states. But there are ways to take advantage of that, and that's why these these um, organizations like the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, Cooperation Works, so all that kind of help you um, figure that out. What's the right structure for you? Um, you know, so yeah, Tessa is incorporated as a worker owned cooperative. I th- again, I think C Corp in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, and we, we've talked about, Hey, maybe we should be an LLC. And then we've realized, you know what? Actually, we shouldn't. Um, having this worker co op statute does protect us, um, so that we don't experience, uh, you know, getting hit hard on taxes because we are both employees and owners. Um, there are ways to to get around that, but it, yeah, the structure is not set up. I will uh, I, uh, to support worker-owned cooperatives. But I will say that um, there really has been a lot of movement to change that over the past few years. Um, the worker cooperative movement has won some great uh, like uh, municipal support in um, uh, cities like New York and Madison, and in um, some and I think maybe Berkeley. Anyways, in some others. Um, and getting funding to actually start worker co-ops, um, changing laws on the books to, and, all, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're, you're definitely working against a system that is not, um, does, does not, is like, why would workers also employ, own the, own the business that, wait, what? Um, uh, so yeah. Yeah. You, you don't understand how things are done around here. Like yeah. people, <laughs> like, like we have people, they're called capitalists. They take it. Yeah. They take yeah. with the work, you know, a portion of what the workers do. Yeah, yeah. get yeah. get on board, friend. You're starting exactly. a business. <laughs> yeah, why possibly? Basically, yeah, why yeah. possibly could anybody want to do anything if it wasn't, you know, or innovate anything if it wasn't somehow, you know, increase shareholder value? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And 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 in fact, um, you know, that's one of the is that like you you'll sometimes have a hard time finding funding, uh, like startup capital, because banks are like, I don't get why you all. Eat only right. equal, but um, but and, and, and that's not always the case. But it definitely has been. And, um, and the that should be, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I to to me that should and this is the bizarre thing about the whole thing that should make the, make it more attractive to the banks because like if you're working if you're working on collateral yeah. and risk, well, you have fewer you have the risk spread out, you know, um, amongst. Uh, it's just a bizarre notion to me. Yeah, ideology well, is a hell of a drug. It is actually a strength. I mean, it is a strength for although the banks don't love it. It is a strength for people who wouldn't be able to start their own businesses because they do pool equitably pool their resources right. and uh, and that kind of stuff. And so while so it is, I mean, it is an asset for people trying who who would maybe not be able to start it on their own. And again, the worker co-op movement has. Um, has actually started a bunch of co-op funds and um, uh, like cooperative loan agencies that are meant to specifically loan and benefit um, worker or not just worker own but co-op uh, businesses and that kind of stuff. Um, we have a we have a, like a line of credit through the Cooperative Fund of New England, who are awesome and so supportive. And no typical bank would normally. They're like, you make leftist board games and everyone there owns <laughs> what the hell? But the 60 bucks. New England Good is luck. like, yep, nope, here you go. Um, so, anyways. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah, Two questions. One of them, um, one of them about, um, well, there's something about like, you know, sorting people who might be ideologically down with you. Yeah. I guess this is, this is very similar to, um, uh, to like being, you know, being like an activist group or an organizing group or any sort of leftist group, but about the kind of like, right. um, 
personality, you know, how to handle personality types that might be down with you, you know, down for the cause, but do because uh, there are certain <laughs> because like, you know, I keep talking about how on I've mentioned it both on air and off. It's like because modernity traumatizes people and trauma can radicalize people, but it also scars them. Um, yeah. And not everybody is has processed their, you know, because I don't have I don't have any language for this. That's not doesn't sound like this, but no, not everybody has finished processing their trauma enough to the point where there can be effective in like doing the heavy lifting. But the but, you know, we'll get to that one in a second. But I guess my question. Yeah. I did have a question about, uh, and, um, about like funding, stru- you know, some sort of, if not like public banking, but like funding structures is mm-hmm. like, you know, how do you find, um, you know, what's that, what sort of architecture is out there to, yeah. you know, for anybody who, you know, is like, okay, we're ready to go, but we actually need, you know, you mm-hmm. do need some capital, capital C to, uh, yeah. to start. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, there is actually a good, I think, section of Own the Change that specifically talks about ways to access capital. Um, so uh, folks can check that out. Um, but um, yeah, there, there's various structures. Um, I mean, there again, uh, uh, in a worker cooperative, um, you know, you're all you're pooling your resources, right? So. Um, rather than starting your set, you know, maybe you have fa- friends and family you can pool resources from. Um, this sort of, the, I think, the most um, interesting example is a historic example of, is in the, in the Mondragon region of Spain. And this, like, doesn't help people who are, like, existing right now, but it, it's still, I think, probably the most dynamic example um, is in the Mondragon region of Spain in the 19... 19- 40s, 50s, I forget. Um, but during the fascist reign, when they actually were able to start this uh, cooperative system, is they just like went door to door and they were like, yo, we want to start. And they said, yo. Um, and they went door to door. That means and said, I. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good point. I uh, want to start um, this, you know, this business and like chip in and, um, and the and the people in their neighborhood and their friends and family did um and i mean that's just like a model that's repeated but um you know obviously these days you can't just that's not as easy especially if you're you know i do advocate like starting um work co-ops that are low in um low capital intensive but there are there are worker co-ops that are high capital intensive like you said you're you're in engineering there's an engineering cooperative uh, worker cooperative and that kind of stuff so um there are financial structures um uh uh to support that you know some of it is sometimes you can just get a, a loan from a bank there's sometimes you know people do manage that um you can I, we tessa has made use of kickstarter a lot crowdfunding um uh, there are uh, and then there are the cooperative just like funding networks um like the cooperative fund of new england um uh, there's one in the uh, I, there, I mean, there's basically cover all the regions of, of the U.S. Um, uh, uh, that are they're like, hey, we know the barriers are are tougher for cooperatives. So um, come to us and we'll we'll you know, we'll, we'll try to help you. Um, I mean, that they don't give money to just straight up everyone. You still got to have a good proposal and that kind of stuff. Um, but the cooperative movement has built this like network to try to fund itself uh, because they recognize there are barriers. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. But I know, some of the barriers are uh, seemingly ideological, right? Like because the like I actually do think that the like to bring up Richard Wolf again, as 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 uh, Jeremy has done, like, you know, they actually are 
a, you know, they are a way of doing capitalism that is in a, in a weird sense, anti-capitalist, you know what I mean? And, uh, I wonder how much like, bear, you know, the, the, um, impediments that people who are trying to start, uh, co-ops run into are really like ideologically based. You know what I mean? They're yeah. not really, they're not really based in any matter of fact, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird because the worker co-op movement. So there, so I should clarify. There's 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 the cooperative movement and there's a worker cooperative movement. And there are not just worker co-ops. There are cooperatives like you know grocery store co-ops, which are typically owned by consumers. There are giant agriculture cooperatives that are you know essentially purchasing cooperative, right? So the, the cooperative is a cooperative is just a business structure, um, but there are ways. You know, I, I think it's one that, especially in the worker cooperative, I should say, in the in the worker cooperative movement, um, leans towards a more um, leftist uh, approach. Um, and, but there are people who are just like who are like, oh, cooperatives are you know a softer form of capitalism, and then there are people who are like, worker cooperatives are straight up anti-capitalist, and. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily one way or the other. I sort of, my personal opinion is that, like, I don't think markets are necessarily um, tied to or, or originated from, at the, at the, at the worst, like co-op worker cooperative, or I'm sorry, at the, at the least, worker cooperatives give um, people a way to navigate capitalism through a non-exploitative lens, but at the most, are a revolutionary vehicle. Um, to change the economy. Um, and that's where I lean. Um, I think there are a lot of people in the in the worker cooperative movement who is in especially I think the US Federation of Worker Cooperatives um, views that, um, but certainly not necessarily everybody. Um, so yeah, there I mean, there are people, you know, there, you know, there also are just some people who want to start worker cooperatives and don't really have a great idea and they're like, I just want to do a worker cooperative. And it's like, you know, um, you don't want to necessarily do that. Like, you don't want to start like a, a um, uh, you know, like a, a, a it's not puppies and, and rainbows. You know, um, it is still hard. It, it, it's tough work. And um, um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I do. I, I, I view worker cooperatives as a strong like I think they're both a means and an ends. Um, uh, I think they're both like the they are a way to get to where we want to go to. And I think they are where we want to get to. Um, but not necessarily everybody is of, of that ilk, um, in the, sure. in the yeah. movement. Yeah. That's one, that is one thing because I'd thought, I'd thought about this before is because at some point, um, one of the things about worker cooperatives, it's especially when you get enough people in them, it's like at some point in the process of doing them, you, you know, you do know, you do need to learn how to do shit. And it's kind of, yeah, this is the one thing it's in, I think part of it's, yeah, part of it, again, you know, I'm an, I'm, I'm an, an engineer who does a lot of troubleshooting, has learned a lot of troubleshooting stuff on the wrong, in the, on the heart, um, the, you know, the hard way. And it's, um, yeah. It's like, yeah, even if the revolution was tomorrow, at some point, like after that, people do know, you know, you do need to know how to do this shit. It's, um, yeah. um, mm -hmm. but, uh, well, again, uh, this one, uh, go in my other question, yeah, the one about like, this is more of like almost like a, like a cultural thing is either, either in, like from your own personal experience or even like as, as a tip of like, what do you do where, or like, how do you handle it where, um, some of the folks who might be down to work with you want to be in the co-op, or but they don't seem to be um, 
I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe not necessarily full on, like, you know, quote unquote, the toxic personality, but there are definitely some folks who have personality traits or say like even like active trauma where like it turns out that they're, they're not the best. Uh, they're not the best, um, you know, coworker, ally, comrade, whatever, you know, uh, co-owner, whatever. It's like, <laughs> how do you, yeah. do, what do you do about that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great question because, you know, oh, thank um, you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, we'll leave it at You know, worker, worker. Like I said earlier, it's not puppy dogs and rainbows. It's like you're both owning a business and um, demo, like democratically running an organization simultaneously. Um, we, and there's a whole argument about efficiency, which I, I think is BS, but that's a, a separate conversation. Um, but in terms of just like you know conflict solving and that kind of like hiring for a worker cooperative is is so important. Um, yeah, because, you know, you, you, it really depends on the size and, and different, like, you know, Equal Exchange is a worker-owned cooperative that does, like, fair trade uh, chocolate and food and, and, um, and coffee and that kind of stuff. And they're, and they're, 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 you know, they've got, I think, over 100 worker owners. Um, and they've got a, a, you know, more of a hierarchical system, right, of, a, a, of they've got managers but who, and, and a board and a, and a president, but they're, they're all, you know, they're elected and, and accountable to the worker owners, but they do delegate their, um, their power and responsibility. Whereas, you know, smaller um, worker co-ops or co-ops that are more um, um, uh, structured as collectives, more uh, horizontal. Yeah, horizontal. Um, you know, uh, uh, the conflict it can be a real problem. Um, and so, in a worker cooperative, you don't win if you, you know, let's say, let's say we had a worker co-op, the three of us, and um, we were adding a fourth person. You know, um, but we had been established for a while. That fourth person, Sally Sue, whatever, wouldn't become a worker owner the next day. Um, most, uh, most worker co-ops have in sort of an incubation period where you are a, you, you, you're a worker, but you're not yet an owner and it might, might be nine months and it might be 12 months. It depends. But at the end of that, you sort of, the, the team votes on whether you're joining or, or not, um, whether they're going to, and, um, and that's really important because if you found out it's not a good fit, like you don't want to like be like, Oh, okay. Now you have equal, you know? And it could be ideology. Why? Why can't I say that word right now? Uh, uh, it, yeah, it could be. It could be an ideology thing. It could be. Um, it's just like a bad fit, toxic, whatever. Um, but yeah, because if you have conflict, then you're going to drag down your whole business and and all that. I mean, conflict is inevitable. We're you know we're we're people. We're not bricks. Um, but um, so, anyways, I feel like I'm rambling, so I'll stop there. <laughs> um. Any well, uh, a good answer? So no, good answer. Yes, thank you. Trust yeah. your instinct. How do you design a good meeple? <laughs> um, so, if anyone doesn't know, a meeple is sort of like a little person figure who almost looks like a little gingerbread person. Um, and how do you design a good meeple? Oh man, I have uh, I found that people love unique meeples. Um, and sure. uh, um, so a it can't um, it can't have any like very small skinny edges because that will break off in transit and people will be 
pissed when they get it. Um, so I, I think it should look fun and funny. Uh, not necessarily funny, but it should look fun. And, um, you know, I have this game called Rise of Tribes um, where, you know, the meeples are like some people like holding it's about like early pre civilization humans and they're like people holding baskets or spears. And it's just so fun to move those around the board and that kind of stuff. So I really, I'm all about theme in a game. Like just, if you're playing a game, go all in. And so like, if you can embrace the theme and strike, we've got these sort of like robot like meeples that are like the mega drones, which are like the super bad guys in it. Um, and like, people just love that uh, because they're like, you know, it really allows you to immerse yourself in the, um, and they're like, yeah, we're fighting these evil giant mega drones that are taking over our city for this co- uh, for this corporate corporation. And so, yeah, just go all in on the theme. What do you think? Um, yeah, we we really are getting into like board game theory here. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Do you have any opinions as to why people prefer meeples rather than say a much more detailed, or, but like um, you know, just like a, the little like you know folded cardboard on a little stand? Yeah. To thing which you know like plenty of you know can be much more literal but something about a meeple design it has that abstractness that that really uh works yeah i think it's about the firmness that just like they feel solid in your hands um and i think i think you said this before we started recording but that sort of the the cardboard stuff has um um a more early like 70s board game vibe to it and so like maybe people have us that sort of associate you know i'm not strictly against it and obviously if people get our games you'll see a number of them do have those in there um i think sometimes like the art stuff can really be good and especially these days you can like get good punch outs um what we call like and cool designs Mm -hmm. for them but i do think people yeah get really excited about the meeples just because they like look and feel modern um they have a bit more heft to them um and um yeah there's something that's just a little bit more old-timey about the um the punch outs or the the cardboards that i still think there's there's times and places for them but uh yeah the more and more i move towards stuff the more i'm using meeples over them awesome garrett you got anything i'm sorry no i don't <laughs> okay. Well, uh, well, you mentioned we've we've mentioned uh, Strike, your latest release. Can you talk about uh, maybe a little bit in development, but much more, um, much more the uh, the production and the release of like how do you release a board game in the midst? Of, you know, a kickstarted, a successfully kickstarted game in the midst of uprising, fires, and pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, um, so that was fun. Um, so um, we, yeah, so we did the Kickstarter for Strike, um, and I think it was like supported by like around eight hundred people. That was one of them, um, yeah. including yourself. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, the way we get all our games out there, or not all, but most of our games, is we crowdfund, and so people supporting them makes it possible, and we're super appreciative. Um, but so we made it. We we made it uh, in whatever that ancient year. I, I would think we did the Kickstarter in 2019, um, which was um, before the pandemic. Um, and I think our plan had been to release it in February or March or something like that. And then the year of 2020 just kept like, oh, yeah, all of like. California is on fire and like all the also there's this disease and like you know fascism and just like you know all that stuff um and um and, and uh so yeah I mean we were putting out this game about like a you know 
people, labor, worker uprising in a city. Um, and um, so one of the things is that we really pride ourselves on our sort of our ethical, sustainable and, um, production. So all of our games are made here in the in the um, in the U.S. Um, and like, you know, we we vet who we work with and we know they're good people and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, um, our, our goal was to get it out in March. And um, oh, yeah. And then right before that, actually, uh, just the cherry on top is I had to have sort of emergency surgery. Jeez. And so like I went off and so it was just a whole thing. And then I came back and I was like, all right, let's get this thing out. And then, you know, and then the pandemic. And so, um, you know, I sent out, I sent out a, a an update being like, Hey, you, there's this thing going on. You may, maybe you've heard about it called COVID, but we may not get it to you in time. They are, uh, and like most people were like, that makes sense. And I, we were just like, look, we're going to, our we're going to trust our, our printer and they might, Take, have to shut down for a bit and and whatever and you know we're just like if anyone's upset about that we're sorry but like we're we're we prioritize the safety of workers and all that kind of and like luckily everyone was like fuck yeah um so um yeah uh, you know michigan was shut down for a few months which where our printer is based um for for strike we we use multiple printers but the first strike they're based in michigan um and so it was just sort of a waiting game and then um finally it came out uh we were able to get it like they were able to sort of ramp back up and um that's when i think all the fires were happening and um and um uh, it's actually uh, funny is the wrong word um uh, the year before, we had actually lost a number of our stock of space cats by fascism from the fires in the year before that in California. So we were sort of like, okay, we know this is like, we know the drill here and da 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 da. Um, so we were navigating that, but we were shipping. And so we finally got it. Um, but our shipping infrastructure, I mean, at the time that the game came out was just mayhem because, um, because COVID was still very new. And so like, we have a warehouse service that we use and they were fulfilling the games, but they couldn't send out all of them. So like I personally, I just like had like hundreds of games sent to my, my house and I just started like packing them up at myself and also sending them to people back in the, uh, uh, back in the uh, record label days, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was just like that. Um, so, um, so yeah, we were sh- sending them out to people and, you know, a number of the games did just get lost because of COVID and, and fire and that. And we just resent them to people if they let us know they didn't get it. Um, but it was just like a wild time of just like, okay, just punch after punch. Luckily, like, I mean, I, there's a lot of, I've followed sort of the comment threads on other Kickstarters that are happening and like, um, a lot of people are like, oh, I, what, you do everything you can, get me my game. Like, I don't care that there's a pandemic. You know, there's just some people who are, they capitalism, capital, they pay for something they want right then. Luckily, our, all our people are pretty much like, are down. You know, if you're getting a game called Strike the Game of Worker Rebellion, you're, you, you understand. So, luckily, we really have this, this support and understanding of, um, of everyone. Yeah, and, um, self selected. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that's, you know, 99% of people were chill about it. Um, and if you aren't chill about that, honestly, fuck off. But um, <laughs> but uh, I don't usually like to say that. But, yeah, so most people were great. Um, it just was a, it was the most amount of work I've ever had to do to um, ship a game out and just deal with one thing after the other. But people have been telling me they like the game. So that's, that's, that's what matters. And, and, you know, no one died in the making of it because everyone was safe and, um, and, and careful. And like, that's, that's what matters to us. Awesome. 
Yeah, it's yeah. like at some point, <laughs> a full admission, it's like I have yet to actually play a full game of it because it's kind of been sitting here and, uh, <laughs> so sorry. It's like, it's like my yeah. partner and I, and some, sometimes like, you know, she has to work or, you know, it, you know, yeah. it's, it, well, it's life during quarantine. So yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, right. exactly. <laughs> has anybody sent any copies of your stuff to Richard Wolf yet? Because I think it'd be hilarious to, just to get his get what he what he would think on a, a, playing a game uh, a cooperative board game made by a board game cooperative. <laughs> I you know I don't I don't know I'm I'm pretty sure he's aware of it because back in the he's part of some. I'll be honest I don't I've never actually listened to his stuff which is maybe makes me terrible but I I um I I know of him just because of so many people talk about his stuff. Um, but I know, like many years ago, um, he's. I think he's part of this organization, right? Called Democracy, or is the CEO of it, or not CEO, or whatever, ED, or affiliated Democracy at Work Network. And a number of years yeah. ago, we were yep. talking about them about potentially teaming, and it just didn't come together. So, I I'm pretty sure he's some. But no, I don't. As far as I know, he has not played it, or if he has, um, he has not uh, let anyone know. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I would. Yeah. I, would uh, I would recommend. Uh, he does a lot of good uh, when he shows up on like various pods or YouTube shows. Like he had a really good one on uh, Ben Burgess's show called "Give Them an Argument" uh, a mm-hmm. few weeks ago. He was in there to talk, and like you know, he would be he would go on the Michael Brooks show all the time, Rest in Power, and occasionally oh, he'll cool. show up on like uh, Majority Report and all that stuff. So that's how. Yeah, okay. that is how I heard he's, him. He's really good with he's really good rhetorically with an audience that let's say is more on the liberal, less on the you know mm. you know proper left. Sure. Um, sure. Even though he's a Marxist, you know he's a, he's okay. a, Marx, a Marxist economist. Mm. But he's he's trying to push the at least I think his project is trying to push worker co- uh, cooperatives as like a, an interim sort of okay. Uh, thing. So you can actually, like most of his c- contemporary writing is, you know, you're already past it. You know what I mean? Sure. It's, it's for a general audience. It's a one, but, it's, okay. Yeah, it's 101, yeah. Uh, he's yeah. got a scholarly work too that I've read and it's very, very readable if you're, if you're interested in that sort of stuff. Cool. He was, yeah, totally. Yeah, last, uh, last, either la- last year, whatever, whatever year, we, uh, whatever year last year was, he had, right. he had a full appearance on the Michael Brooks show where he was talking a lot about Gramsci. And I mm. asked him such a technical question that was read on the air that he, <laughs> that, that he, he got irritated and didn't answer. So I thought, so I thought well, that was really, really funny. All right. So, okay. The, I am, we are coming to the end. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, there's anything else that we are missing. Um, Please return your seats to their full upright position. <laughs> yeah. Return your trays. Remember planes? <laughs> the, uh, one, of, one of my buddies has been, he's a field service. Sorry, tech. I pretend I'm on a plane when we do this podcast because yeah. I, I miss planes so much. I don't miss planes, by the way, but I do miss visiting people. My, my, yeah, my buddy, who's, who's still like a traveling field service dude, has been flying all through this. And he said, yeah, it's, wow. by, by this point, he's like, the airplanes are like probably, you know, uh, airports are far safer than some of the customer locations that he goes to where he'll go to like army PXs to fix like copier machines or something. He just says that he gets oh, laughed boy. at, but get, like gets laughed at by some of the, why are you all, why are you all masked up or, you know, some shit like wow. that. So, wow. but, um, fun times. <laughs> so weird. Um, yeah. 
All right. Let's see. Uh, well, one of the one of the only thing we have, and I probably should, and I keep forgetting to warn people about this. I mean, so this is a slightly on the spot. But if you, you, know, if you don't have an answer for this, then don't worry about it. But sure. uh, I'll cut all this unless I've had too much to drink and I forget to edit it. But no, I usually I usually <laughs> listen. I listen to these things like two or three times through and continually, cool. you know, iteratively chop it up. Um, is it called recommendations and endorsements? Do you have anything mm-hmm. that you've been digging on that you would like to that you would like others to find out about? Be it you know band, movie, game, thing, uh, line of guitars, uh, oh, you know whatever. Um, yeah. You know, it's like what have you been digging on lately that you think more people should check out? Um. Oh, good question. Um. I guess since I'm the I'm the board game guy, I'll I'll give board game recommendations. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I'll give some. You know, obviously buy all my board games and spend all your money on those. But if you don't do, if you buy other people's board games, um, some ones that I would recommend are um, uh, if you uh, there's a this is for people who are like really into like super hardcore board games um because it is a very hardcore board game but it's called spirit island and it's a great anti-colonial board game where it's sort of like the reverse of settlers of Catan, but you're like killing all the the uh, the colonists that are trying to take over your island i think i've, um, I think I've seen that one fun. Like, you're like you're like you, you you're like one of the island de- you can you choose an yeah. island deity yeah yeah but it, again if you don't play board games don't play it because it's <laughs> really complex um but if, you, if you're really down with board games then then i would um then then go for it for the grog um, for mentioned- the grognards in the What's audience that? for the grognards in the audience exactly exactly um endangered is a good board game about um uh, uh um uh, uh fighting and and <laughs> not fighting endangered species but trying to save endangered species fighting for uh, endangered species yeah 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 um, Watergate is a fun game where one person plays as Nixon administration and one person plays as the journalist trying to expose them. If oh, that's man, a good I want to play that. Yeah. Who gets to play? Um, who gets to play G. Gordon Liddy? <laughs> what's? Oh yeah. <laughs> Took me a minute. Um, you Henry, shave your head or Henry Kissinger? You know, Mr. <laughs> President. Anyway. And if you miss going outside, Parks is a really good board game about exploring the national parks. Um, it's a fun, relaxing game. Um, and these are all games that I think you can play with like two to four players. So good quarantine friendly. Um, um, so yeah, th- that'll be my off the cuff response. Sweet. Those are, that's great. Uh, Garrett, you got anything? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to recommend something I never thought I'd recommend and certainly not, uh, for posterity on a podcast. Uh, it is, I'm three quarters through this, but I love it so much that I'm, I'm ready to recommend it. It is a, it is a book written in the 1800s called The World as Will and Representation by oh. Arthur Schopenhauer. Uh, oh God, you're reading Schopenhauer? Schopenhauer? Yes. And I'm, Jeremy, I'm fucking loving it. Wow. Like, I can't believe I'm enjoying it as much as I am. Um, uh, so Schopenhauer is famous for being sort of the inspiration or the, the, the philosopher who primarily inspired Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, by the way, reading Schopenhauer makes Nietzsche so much more understandable for me anyway. What I would say is that like, it's, there's stuff you have to know even before you start the book. Like he has this essay about the principle of sufficient reason. And then you have to understand a little bit about Immanuel Kant yeah, was as saying, well, like, which, is, which, is no, guy. which is no short order. But, yeah. uh, but if you're, if you're, how about, how about this? If you're an enthusiast for philosophical texts, 
you you might you might want to skip over Sh- Arthur Schopenhauer, but you'd be making a mistake. It is it is very clearly written, very beautifully written for a philosophical text. I mean, like in line with like Plato or or Nietzsche. You know, Nietzsche is one of the more readable philosophers as far as it as literature goes. Um, but the philosophy itself is is deeply interesting. Um, and, and if you have any interest in like Hinduism or Buddhism, he's the first Western philosopher really to systematically deal with that thought and respectfully integrate it into Western traditions. And again, in an incredibly interesting way, I, hmm. I, I really can't say enough good things about it, even though it is very gloomy at, at the end. He's a, he's a gloomy philosopher. Yeah, I mean, he's full on like antinatalist at times, isn't he? Like, you know, I don't I don't he I haven't seen anything by that. And I don't think he would be because he's very anti suicide. So oh, okay. so he, he thinks that basically life is um, a very unhappy business and we're still not allowed to kill ourselves if, if we find that we don't like it. Like and, and it's really interesting how he derives that argument. And there's just these parts like there'll be chunks where he starts talking about, you know, it's it's just this abstruse philosophical discussion. And then all of a sudden he brings in a discussion of the stoic philosophers and their defense of suicide and why it was a, a histor- you know, a philosophical error. And it's just, it's such an interesting book. And I, and I feel like most people who like philosophy wouldn't pick it up and, and it's a mistake not to, it's good. Awesome. Uh, my only, I think the red Nietzsche did not actually read much Schopenhauer, but it's like, to my understanding is effectively, um, they cribbed a lot of like really kind of like superficial, um, you know, vulgarized Schopenhauer for uh, the Rust Cole character on the first season of True Detective. Do me a courtesy, okay? I'm not trying to convert you. Look, I'd consider myself a realist, all right? But in philosophical terms, I'm what's called a pessimist. Um, okay, what's that mean? It means I'm bad at parties. <laughs> Let me tell you. You ain't great outside of parties either. I think human consciousness is a tragic misstep in evolution. We became too self-aware. Nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We are creatures that should not exist by natural law. Well, that sounds god-fucking-awful, Rust. Hmm. Um, yeah, that that's that seems uh, uh, likely. I know that Nietzsche was part of an influence of that show too. Yeah. So you'll do this again. Time is a flat circle. I said Nietzsche, shut the fuck up. But yeah, I mean, I can't say that he's better than Nietzsche, but I don't, I don't know Nietzsche's like corpus well enough to like really say that. But I, I really enjoy reading Schopenhauer. Cool. I will recommend two. Uh, kind of like, well, YouTube shows slash podcast. One is called This is Revolution. It is, um, it's both in YouTube and, uh, and pod form. It hosted by Jason Miles, who's the front man of Bitter Lake, who's kind of like a heavy music band. It is great because it is a, um, it is a very much, very, very funny Gen Xer, black Marxist, um, 
you know, like left pod, left show where, I mean, he'll do show. In fact, they, I think they're even do it. They're even like live streaming right now as we record, but he and up uh, his, uh, his co-host Pascal Robert from the black agenda report will do, we'll have on like, you know, plenty of panels. We'll talk about stuff of lately. They did a series talking to like Ture Reed or Cedric Johnson about the, all of those like early nineties, like, uh, gangsta picks. Like they did like a two hour episode talking about like the culture and the politics that um fed into boys in the hood you know boys in the hood and menace to society and it just it's um it, it's great stuff because it's kind of like the guy's funny he knows his shit he's a great host and he can <laughs> at some point he likes bringing up just kind of like playing clips for guests that are like um kind of like semi-relevant like uh older either 80s or 90s uh clips like i think at one point he and his guests were talking about just you know scenes in red dawn and like how weird like the you know and they kind of like what what sort of like ideological weirdness led to the making red dawn where like yeah the where it's kind of like yeah the soviets are invading and taking things over and you know to to illustrate that they literally are taking over you know the small town in colorado and all sorts of shit and um it's good stuff also a show that he, uh, he uh, there's another related show called toy galaxy which is kind of a it's a U- youtube show uh where the host will get into kind of de- deconstruct it's like almost like the political uh the political economy and ideology of like children's toys and like tv shows like he'll get into things like um what would they you know why were certain action figure series why did they get why did some get cartoons but others didn't you know why was um you know what happened when they tried to take like the the very american gi joe and then try to market him to like a a global audience like you know because he's over in england he's not called gi joe he's a action man and also stuff where um you know gets into like next you know it, it's a um it is a it's kind of a, a very interesting approach of like getting you know it's it's it is styled like a pop culture show but it's much more of a again like a history and uh economic and uh an ideological investigation because of like yeah it's like this is all you know all the people who are in their 40s and 50s now uh like me um this is what kind of went, you know, what went into their head for years and like, what were they trying to do? You know, cause like the eighties was what a, a, a time of like mass, you know, a massive shift to the, to, uh, conservatism. And here's how they did that in children's cartoons. So there's that. All right. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. I recommend it. Yeah. The two shows. This is revolution and toy galaxy. In fact, the, the, the host from toy galaxy has even popped up on this. Is Re- this is revolution a couple of times with very memorable, uh, memorable episodes. At one point they start talking about the dance fight scene in break Two: electric boogaloo, which if you've never seen that film, at the very end of the film, there is a kind of just, there's this climactic dance battle, that they filmed in 1985 South Central LA and it's just and it is it, it's a bizarre bit of excellence that's all I gotta say <laughs> yeah um okay wrap you to final words um uh, Brian I have one c- more thing Jeremy, oh certainly go for it that I forgot about um this is available for free uh we've, we've mentioned Richard Wolf a couple times I want to talk about another wolf that I'm a fan of his name is Robert Paul Wolf uh he is a philosopher um uh, who is who is a Marxist, and he wrote something a long time ago called, uh, and it's you can get it for free on his website. Um, it's called Money Bags Must Be So Lucky, and it is his way of uh, trying to sort of assimilate 
some literary interpretation of the first chapter of Capital, of Marx's Capital. And um, for someone who's trying to understand Marx and, and needs a sort of frame to look at it from, I, I found it very, very useful. Just keeping in mind that, like, there are other ways of interpreting Marx and, like, this isn't, like, the one, you know, the one ring that binds them all. But, <laughs> like, just it, it, it's only 50 pages. It's, it's really amusing the way he writes. Uh, he's a, he's a good writer, and uh, the examples he uses are are really um, evocative to help you understand what Marx was tr- what he thinks Marx was trying to get at in the first, the, primarily the first chapter, but the first like six chapters of Capital, where where he's describing he's describing Capital from the perspective of the political economists of his time. Gotcha. So mm-hmm. cool. All right. Uh, once again, Brian, we want to thank you a lot for like, staying up late and chatting with us and spending your time. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. Uh, do you have, um, yeah, uh, how can folk, uh, uh, do you, what are your pluggables? How can folks get a hold of you if they have like, uh, yeah, um, uh, you know, you can search us, uh, Tessa Collective, T E S A Collective. That's also our website, Tessa Collective, T E S A Collective dot com. Find all our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yada, yada, yada is on there. Um, uh, you know, or just Google space cats fight fascism. That's where the only thing that comes up. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so find us that way. Um, power of the search engine or just right into your browser. Excellent. Um, and, uh, see, uh, for us real quick, if you, uh, questions or comments, please uh, get a hold of us at giving the mic at gmail.com. We do have a Patreon because we're left this podcast. So of course we have a Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash giving the mic. You know, please like, share and subscribe. Tell your friends if you can, like, tell like one friend about this weird show you listen to that comes out once in a while where they do both like pop culture shit and leftist shit. What can I say? And, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, final words from everybody and any final words before we sign off for the night. I'll do a self plug thing just because uh, I haven't done enough of that. Um, is that uh, our next game is uh, that we're working on is Sustainable City, a game of climate solutions and climate justice. So um, we're I'm sort of uh, I'm trying to be more intentional this time about documenting our process of building a, a game about changing the world. Because um, in the past I'm usually like, yo, here's a new game. So this time I'm trying <laughs> to show people how it how it works. Um, so. Um, we're doing that. I'm documenting that on our newsletter and social media. So feel free to, to, to follow along there if you want. Excellent. When, is, um, any, what's, what, what's your timeline for that? Um, you know, all things COVID being relative. Um, but, uh, the goal, the goal is, uh, to get that game on uh, Kickstarter and into people's hands, uh, by middle of this year. Cool. Uh, well, yeah. when, when is the Kickstarter going to, are you going to, are you going to, are you starting from Kickstarter or are you just going to, uh, distri- you kind of like use the Kickstarter to kind of distribute it or, well, to, to sell it as a storefront? Yeah. I'm, we're, we're in the process of designing it right now and the, the Kickstarter will be raise the funds to manufacture it. And then just gotcha. very shortly after that, it'll go to, it'll go to, um, it'll go to press. So we'll probably try to do the Kickstarter and my guess is maybe around June, give or take a month and then, It'll be in people's hands a month or two after that, I think. Sweet, that's a pretty good turnaround. Well, that's good. That's, yeah. a, that's a shockingly yeah, well, good the, turnaround the for us working with the um, yeah uh, here uh, with a local printer um, rather than um, uh, in in bad conditions overseas. Is we get them, we get our games relatively quickly. So awesome, and, and we you know don't support bad labor conditions, but. Um, Sweet. Yep. There you go. So, folks, so keep your eye out. Uh, you know, summer ish. 2021 hopefully and you know unless like the next bad thing that happens you know if there is a 2021 yeah right. <laughs> indeed you know 
for who can say what the future will hold? For that is where we will spend the rest of our lives. Anyway, all right. According thank you. to Schopenhauer, there is no future. So, why you mean what? Or, or, you, you, or what past. The, there's only the eternal now. Oh well, it's either Read that Schopenhauer kids. Yeah, either that or time is a flat circle. Um, <laughs> and on that note, well, once again, uh, thank you, Garrett. Thank you, Brian, for again for uh, for chatting You're with welcome, us. Welcome, Jeremy. Um, and thank you, everybody, thank you, everybody else for tuning in. And yeah, go support your local board game maker and the Tessa Collective with their cool stuff. Part of Chicago, you are are you in? I uh, I I'm, I'm actually technically right outside of Chicago in a in a suburb, uh, basically across the street from Chicago in Forest Park. Oh, okay. I think yeah. when uh when I was I lived in Ann Arbor up until mm. uh from like '94 through '04, and so we would um we would bounce down. You know, it was like a three hour drive, so we would bounce down to Chicago once in yeah. a while. And I had like friends who would live in um like ukrainian village or the Olympic yep. square or even um oh fuck what is the that's not wicker park what is the what's the more yuppie-ish slash yes less cool it's where all the michigan state people move to there's another park on the north side that is i can park yeah i think lincoln park yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yep yep there's a lot of parks I uh I went to Chicago for the first time a couple of years ago and that's a that's a fun ass town. We were we 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 stayed right downtown and mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. it was when so there's a huge like Mexican American community in Chicago, mm-hmm. right? And yep. I'm from a place with the huge Mexican American community. Okay. It's called El Paso, Texas. Sure. But, uh but it, I guess like some like they had just won some soccer thing and the whole downtown every night i was there was mobbed really? by was mobbed by people in cars with mexican flags hanging out of them it had something to do with the soccer team winning Huh. Uh, it was like World it Cup was or amazing. something. It was it was it was absolutely incredible so that's how i'll always remember chicago as 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 um, a soccer as, town one like mexican pride city which i yeah. never would have guessed about chicago until i you know had been there you know yeah. what i mean it's a um, there's a lot of there's a lot it's a very diverse city which I, I love. Yeah, it, it kicks ass. Yeah. Uh so congratulations to you on Chicago. Thanks. Uh, I did it. Yeah, really proud of the work you're doing there. Yeah, appreciate it. 
appreciate it. No, uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> you're, yes, right. you're, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Stop this false humility. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. You're doing a, you're, we're, we've been hearing a lot of good things and you're doing some really tremendous work. Just utterly tremendous. And you're going to hear about yeah. it more and more. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Still getting flashbacks. <laughs> we're hearing a lot of things about Chicago and Brian <laughs> is the cause. Brian, what's going on? Yeah. That's also that's the thing. Trump voice is still not going to go away for a little while. It's going to be. Um, it's like yeah. slowly, like it'll slowly fade. But anyway, um, but no, but I, I, I just bring up the weather just because of right, right now, you know, yeah. moving from Michigan as I did to Oregon, like after the isn't enough years, you, I realized that you know, snow is actually less annoying than cold rain. Yeah, but, um, that's yes, that's snow's fun. You can sled on it. That's true. Um, my kid loves it. Yeah.